welcome to the Murder House Radio Show. I'm your host, X. On this show, we will be covering serial killers, killers, mass shooters, disappearances, true crime, and the most deplorable things and people in history. All that good, dark stuff. The Murder House Radio Show will be a radio show slash podcast. I'll be uploading videos every Friday at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Once you hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification and select all to get all notifications. If you are viewing on YouTube and hit follow if you are listening on a podcasting platform. So sit down, get comfortable Grab some coffee or whatever your preferred beverage is. Turn off the lights and enjoy the show. What's going on, guys? I hope you're having a good Friday and you had a good week. And if you aren't having a good Friday, I hope this makes it better somehow. But uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. The day I'm recording this, I drank the day previous, so hangover things. It'd be like that sometimes. Let me know how your week's been going and how your Friday has been going down in the comments below. But uh, yeah, if you wish to ask for some advice to be covered at the end of the podcast slash broadcast or want to give suggestions or anything like that, send them to the podcast email. It will be in the description below. Also in the description is the sources for today's video, so go check those out. So this is also uh, the six-month anniversary, I guess you could call it, of the podcast, because I started the podcast on February 18th, but this is uh, going up on the, hold on, on the 16th, because that's when the Friday lands, and the 18th is on the Sunday, I believe. So, uh, yeah, this is pretty much the six-month anniversary, so thanks for rocking with me so far, and, uh, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So, without any further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode will be on Edward Theodore Gein. Ed Gein. He was born August 27th, 1906. He's also known as the Butcher of Plainfield and or the Plainfield Ghoul. He was an American serial killer slash body snatcher. So um, the funny thing about him is I don't really know if he's a serial killer or not. He's still a creepy fucking dude. But um, he only killed a couple people and he would uh, just mainly dig up bodies that were freshly buried to do his weird activities with but um yeah <clears throat> he committed his crimes around his hometown of Plainfield Wisconsin and uh gathered white it gathered widespread notoriety in 1957 after the authorities had discovered he had exhumed corpses from the local graveyards and fashioned trophies and keepsakes from their bones and skin. Gein also confessed to killing two women, so he only killed two people that he confessed to. Um, he killed a tavern owner 
Mary Hogan in 1954 and uh, hardware store owner Bernice Warden in 1957. Um, he, was a he was initially found unfit to stand trial and confined in a mental institution. And then in 1968, he was judged competent to stand trial and he was found guilty of murder, of the murder of Warden, but he was found legally insane and was remanded to the psychiatric institution. So there's that. He died at um, Mendota Mental Health Institute of Respiratory Failure in uh, July 26, 1984. At the age of 77, he was buried next to his family in Plainfield, in a Plainfield cemetery, in an unmarked grave. So, uh, word. Oh, in a, in a now unmarked grave, so there's that. But, um, that's just a little, uh, recap or whatnot of Ed Gein. So, uh, let's dive deeper into this character. So, Gein was born in La Crosse County, Wisconsin on April 27th, like I said earlier, and he was the second of uh, two boys from George Philip Gein and August Wilman. Will Hyman. <laughs> uh, word. Gein had an older brother, Henry George Gein. Um... The wife, August, Augusta, hated her husband, an alcoholic who was unable to keep jobs. He had worked at various times as a carpenter, a tanner, and an insurance salesman. George owned a local grocery shop for a few years, but sold the business, and the family left the city to live in isolation on a 105-acre farm in the town of Plainfield, Wisconsin, word. And this is, um, this became, this was their primary residence, like their permanent residence. And Gesta took advantage of the farm's isolation by turning away outsiders who could have influenced her children. Gein left the farm only to go to school. So the mother was a controlling person, a very radical, controlling, religious person, and the father was a drunk, and they kept them isolated, well, the mother did. So, outside of school, Gein spent most of his time doing chores around the farm, and his mother was fervently religious, fervently, fervently religious, <laughs> and, um, Nominally Lutheran, okay. Uh, she preached to her boys about the innate immorality of the world and the evils of drinking and her beliefs that all women apart from herself were naturally promiscuous and instruments of the devil. Oh, that's fucking, that's wild. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, he basically just fucking... She basically tried to brainwash them again, then. It says here, Gein was shy, and classmates and teachers remembered him as having strange mannerisms. 
such as seemingly random laughter. It'd be like that. Sometimes you think of some funny shit and just start laughing, and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm laughing out loud. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. But, um, as if he were laughing at his own personal jokes, see what I mean? <laughs> That's not too fucking crazy, I don't think. Um, to make matters worse, his mother punished him whenever he tried to make friends. Oof. And then, despite his poor social development, Gein did fairly well in school, particularly in reading. Interesting. Interesting. So, on April 1st, 1940, Ed Gein's father died from heart failure caused by his drinking at age 66. Henry and Ed began doing odd jobs around the town to help the family out with their living expenses, and the brothers were generally considerate, considered reliable and honest by uh, people in their community. While they both worked as handymen, handymen, Ed also frequently babysat for neighbors. Ooh, okay. He enjoyed babysitting and uh, seeming to relate more easily to children than adults. Hmm, maybe there's an underlying mental illness there. Maybe. Um, Henry began dating a divorced mother of two and planned to move in with her. He worried about his brother's uh, attachment to their mother and often spoke ill of her around Ed, who responded with shock and hurt. Interesting, interesting. It says here, on May 16th, 1944... Ed and Henry were uh, burning away vegetation on the property and the fire got out of control and the local fire department got uh, notified or whatnot. And by the end of the day when the fire was put out, the firefighters uh, gone, the firefighters went away or whatever had gone and Ed reported his brother missing. Oh. With janitors and flashlights, so lights and stuff, a search party searched for Henry, whose dead body was found laying face down. Oof. And then it says here he's been dead for like quite a while or whatever, so a while. And it appeared that the cause of death was heart failure since he had not been burned or injured in other ways. Interesting. How old was... 1944. So I wonder how old the brother was. Huh. That's interesting. Interesting stuff. It was later reported that um, Henry had bruises on his head. And then the police dismissed the possibility of foul play. And the county coroner later officially listed asphyxiation as a cause of death. So maybe from the smoke and he fell and hit his head. Huh. The authorities accepted the accident theory, but no official investigation was uh, launched or whatever, and an autopsy was not performed. Questioning Ed Gein about the death of Bernice Warden in 1957, state investigator Joe (laughs) Willenskowski brought up questions about Henry's death. Um, George W., who studied the case wrote that in retrospect it was possible and likely that Henry's death was the Cain and Abel aspect of the case oh I see so a brotherly struggle possibly I guess 
So after the death of the brother, they were alone, Keen and his mother. And then um, shortly after the death of the brother, the mother had a paralyzing stroke. And Gein had to devote himself to take care of her. And um, sometime in 1945, Gein later, um, Gein later recounted he and his mother visited a man named Smith who lived nearby to purchase straw. Okay. And according to Gein, August uh, witnessed Smith beating a dog. A woman inside Smith's home came out and yelled at him to stop doing so. And Smith beat the dog to death. Mm. And then the mother was extremely upset by this scene. However, what bothered her did not appear to be the brutality towards the dog, rather than the presence of the woman. Fucking, that's backwards. Holy. And then the mother told Gein that uh, the woman was not married to Smith, so she had no business being there. <laughs> Fuck around. Um. So the mother angrily called her Smith Harold. Smith's Harold. Okay. Uh, she had a second stroke soon after, and her health uh deteriorated rather quickly and then she died december 29th 1945 at the age of 67 so gian was obviously devastated because they had a um, big attachment he's real close to his mother and now he was alone so like he lost his friend and one true love in the world what the fuck <laughs> But, um, yeah, so now by 1945, he is, uh, completely alone here. By, uh, the end of 1945, anyway. Completely alone, which is sad. So, Gein was able to keep the farm working odd jobs, and, uh, he boarded up the rooms used by his mother... And, uh, including the upstairs, downstairs parlor, and the living room, leaving them untouched, while the rest of the house became increasingly squalid. Okay, and then these rooms, he boarded up or whatnot, remained very clean, pristine. Not clean, pristine. <laughs> and then Gein lived thereafter in a small room next to the kitchen. Okay. Around this time, he became interested in reading pulp magazines and adventure stories, particularly those involving cannibalism or Nazis. <laughs> um, yes, and then Gein was still a handyman and received a farm subsidy from the federal government starting in 1951, and he occasionally worked for a local municipal road crew and a crop threshing crews in the surrounding area interesting and um occasionally between 1946 and 1956 he also sold 80 acres of uh his land or whatnot oh word that his uh deceased brother owned fair enough okay so that's uh what he did for work that is what he did for work. So let's get into his crimes. And it says, um, 
Fucking Bernice Warden disappeared on the morning of November 16th, 1957. Um, a Plainfield resident reported that the hardware store's truck had been driven out from the rear of the building at around 9.30 a.m. And the hardware store saw few customers the entire day. Some area residents believed this was because of deer hunting season. Okay. And Bernice Warden's son, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, entered the store at about 5 p.m. to find some store the store's cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. Oof. So Frank had been told that Gein had been in the store the evening before the disappearance of his mother and that he would return the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. A sales slip from a gallon of antifreeze was the last receipt written by Warden on the morning she disappeared. Oh. And then the evening of the same day, Gein was arrested at West Plainfield Grocery Store and the... Washora County Sheriff's Department searched his farm. Yes, and they found a bunch of fuck-ass shit. Here is what they found. They found whole human bones and fragments, a waste basket made from human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with the top sawn off, Bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from a female torso skinned from the shoulders to the waist, leggings made from human leg skin, a mask made from the skin of a female head, Mary Hogan's face in a paper bag, Mary Hogan's skull in a box, Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove. Nine vaginas in a shoebox. It says vulvas. A young girl's dress that the vulvas of two female judges to be about 15 years old. Oof. A belt made from female nipples. Female human nipples. Four noses, a pair of whips on a window shade drawing strings. So, like, um, you know those um, plastic things on the end of the string for the curtains? Yeah, that's what those were on or whatever. Um, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Ooh, and fingernails. Like, fingernails from female fingers. Duh. But yeah, that's what they found on his fucking property, man. Fucking vaginas in a box. That's fucking wild. You can find pictures of a lot of this stuff on uh, Google. On the Google, 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 Google. Um, these artifacts were pictured at the State Crime Laboratory and then... Uh, decently disposed of so like maybe cremat cremated or something of the sort when Gein was being questioned he told investigators that between 1947 and 1952 he had made as as many as 40 nocturnal visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in a days like state 
On about 30 of these visits, he said he came out of the days while in the cemetery and left the graves in good order and returned home empty-handed. Oh. And then um, on one other occasion, he had dug up graves of recently buried middle-aged women he thought resembled his mother and took their bodies home where he had tanned their skin to make his paraphernalia. Yes, he did all this stuff to uh, try to fucking make his mother, I guess, and so he could be closer to his mother or something. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Gein would uh, often rob the graves soon after the funeral, so uh, the graves weren't fully covered or whatnot. They weren't fully completed. But, uh, yes, that's, uh, interesting. So a test grave was exhumed because the detectives were uncertain to whether, uh, Gein was capable of single-handedly digging up a grave during a single evening. And they were found, as Gein described, two of the exhumed graves were found empty and one had a crowbar in place of the body. And one casket was empty. One casket Gein had failed to open when he lost his pry bar. And most of the body was gone from the third grave, yet Gein had uh, returned rings and some body parts. Um, this co thus corroborating Gein's confession. Interesting. Very interesting. Soon after his mother's death, Gein began to create a woman suit. See, I told you. So that he could become his mother to literally crawl into her skin. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Gein denied having sex with the bodies, he exhumed, explaining they smelled too bad. <laughs> Fucking guy. During straight state crime laboratory interrogation, Gein also admitted to the shooting death of Mary Hogan, a tavern owner missing since 1954 whose head was found in his house, but he later denied memory of details of her death. Interesting. So, a 16-year-old youth whose parents were friends of Gein and who attended ball games and movies with him reported that Gein kept shrunken heads in his house, which Gein had described as relics from the Philippines sent by a cousin who had served on the island during World War II. Upon investigation by police, these were determined to be human facial skins carefully peeled from corpses and used by Gein as masks. Holy. Gein was also considered a suspect in several other unsolved cases in Wisconsin, including the 1953 disappearance of Evelyn Hartley, uh, L a lacrosse babysitter. Okay, okay. So it says here they fucked up. During a questioning, Warshora County Sheriff Art Shelley reportedly assaulted Gein by banging his head and face into a brick wall. As a result of this, Gein's initial confession was ruled inadmissible because, you know, coerced from fucking assault. <laughs> um, Shelley Shekeli died of heart failure 
at age 43 in 1968 before Gein's trial, and that was the cop who uh, assaulted him. Many who knew Shelley said he was traumatized by the horrors, the horrors of Gein's crimes, and this, along with the fear of having to testify, especially about assaulting Gein, caused his death. One of his friends said he was a victim of Ed Gein, as surely as if he had butchered him. Okay, okay. So it says here for his trial on November 21st, 1957, Gein was arraigned on one count of first-degree murder in the Washora County Court, where he pled not guilty by reasons of insanity. Gein was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but found mentally incompetent. So, excuse me. Thus unfit for trial, so he was sent to a state hospital for the criminally insane, like I mentioned in the beginning. In 1968, doctors determined Gein was mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. Okay. The trial began on November 7th, 1968. And lasted one week. Oh. Psychiatrists testified that Gein had told him that he did not know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. Gein had told him that while he examined a gun in Warden's store, the gun went off, killing Warden. Gein testified that after trying to load a bullet into a rifle, it discharged. He said he had no aim, he had not aimed the rifle at Warden and did not remember anything else that happened that morning. Interesting. So what if it actually was an accident? But then why would he like take the fucking body to the to his house and like, you know, make a woman suit out of it? <laughs> but uh yeah, there's that. So, his defense requested that Gein's trial be held without a jury, and the judge, Robert H. Golmarer, persisted. Gein was found guilty by the judge on November 14th. A second trial dealt with Gein's sanity after testimony by doctors from the prosecution and defense. Golmarer ruled that Gein's not guilty by reasons of insanity, and ordered him committed to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane, where he spent the rest of his life. Word. And then the judge wrote, due to prohibitive costs, Gein was tried for only one murder, that of Miss Warden. He also admitted to killing Mary Hogan. Interesting. And then the fate of Gein's property... So, Gein's house and 195-acre property were appraised at $4,700, equivalent to $42,000 in 2019. That's not that bad. His possessions were scheduled to be auctioned on March 30th, 1958. And amidst rumors that the house and the land it stood on might become a tourist attraction. You can make a lot of money off that. Early on the morning of March 20th, the house was destroyed by a fire. Suspicious. A deputy fire marshal reported that a garbage fire had been set 75 feet from the house. 
by a cleaning crew who were given the task of disposing of refuse uh, refuse fur further and hot coals were recovered determined okay whatever the fuck that means maybe i'm just having an aneurysm <laughs> it is possible that the fire was not dealt with as a matter of urgency as the fire chief was frank warden the son of bernice warden makes sense Gian's last victim that makes sense right there when Gian learnt of this incident while in detention he shrugged and said just as well <laughs> yeah just it'd be like that sometimes boss man <laughs> um but Gian's 1949 Ford sedan which he used to haul bodies of his victims was sold at a public auction for $760, equivalent to $6,700 in 2019. Imagine how much someone would be willing to pay for that, like, nowadays. Um, they, it was sold to a carnival sideshow operator, Buddy Gibbons. Gibbons charged carnival goers 25 cents submission to see it. Fucking hustler! But, um, yes... And then, here is his death. Gein died at the mental hospital of respiratory failure, secondary to lung cancer, on July 26, 1984, at the age of 77. Like I said in the beginning, I am pretty sure. Over the years, um, souvenir seekers chipped pieces from his gravestone at the Plainfield Cemetery until the stone itself was stolen in 2000. Oof. <laughs> Um, it was recovered in June 2001 near Seattle and was placed in storage at the Warshaw County Sheriff's Department. The gravesite itself is now unmarked, but not unknown. Gein is interred between his parents and brother in the cemetery. That's like, not too big of a gravestone, but that's still heavy as shit too though, that's the thing. <laughs> like, you gotta have some dedication to fucking steal that thing. But imagine, like, being able to say, yeah, fuck, I have fucking Ed Gein's tombstone, bro. Like, what's good? <laughs> so, Gein's legacy, I guess you could say, has had a pretty big effect on pop culture. So, he has influenced a lot of uh, movies, music, and books so he influenced the texas chainsaw massacre um psycho and um the house of a thousand corpses by rob zombie the devil's rejects um what else here the devil's rejects uh leatherface texas chainsaw massacre like i said buffalo bill silence of the lambs interesting interesting stuff but yeah he's had a pronounced influence on um today's pop culture and movies is pretty gnarly pretty gnarly but uh yeah there has been no requested advice coverage so we won't be getting into that but uh yeah let me know what you think of ed Gein down in the comments let me know what's up what's up what's happening what's crackalacking <laughs> But oh uh, yeah, let me know what's up. So that is Ed Gein.
Thank you for listening to this episode on the Murder House Radio Show. I hope you have a good rest of your Friday or whenever you're listening to this. Check out the social medias and the sources in the description below. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Once you hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification and select all to get all notifications if you are listening on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcasting platform, hit follow. Leave your suggestions for future episodes in the comments. See you next episode. This is your host X, signing off.